contrary to a carnal and faithless and a society that is without morals in so many senses. As a church, I don't think we need to apologize for what we believe. They certainly don't. I still believe that there is one God. I still believe that there is one way. I still believe that there is only one truth. But in July 2021, we need to realize that there is an all-out attack on truth. And we must simply make up our mind to take a stand against it. Henry David Thoreau, he said, rather than love, rather than money, rather than fame, give me truth. The idea of absolute truth, it has been criticized, it is confronted, it is challenged on a daily basis. In fact, more and more as time goes on. In the early 2000s, late night talk show host Stephen Colbert, he picked up on this a cultural phenomenon by coining the term truthiness, which went on to become Merriam-Webster's word of the year. In 2016, Oxford Dictionaries named post-truth its word of the year. In 2017, Time Magazine cover asked the question, is truth dead? You see, as long as we live in a fallen world, there's always going to be a question about truth. In the Gospel of John, we have a situation where the very definition of truth is questioned. In John 18, we have an exchange between Pilate and Jesus. 18 and 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? If we could consider for a moment this morning the question that Pilate asks, and if we would be able to gain the answer to that question, it would direct our entire life. In the tech age in which we are living, we feel like it's, it's very simple to get an answer. You can ask Surrey what the weather forecast is. You can ask Alexa what your schedule for today is. You can Google it, uh, name your question, whatever it may be. And uh, this past week, I Googled the question, what is truth? I got back 632 million results in 0.83 seconds. Evidently, there's many that feel they have the answer to the question, what is truth? The scripture urges us in Proverbs to buy the truth and to sell it not, to acquire it, to do whatever we have to get, uh, whatever we have to do to get it. You see, truth is absolute. There is no my truth. There is no your truth. There is simply truth. I'm preaching this morning about absolute truth, and it's important in a compromised culture. The word absolute, it means free from imperfection. It means free from mixture. It means pure. Having no restriction, no, except, uh, no exception, no qualification, it is unquestionable. It is independent of arbitrary standards of measurement. It stands alone, being self-sufficient and free of external references. That's how the dictionary defines it. Our world does not like or accept absolutes. Why? Because absolutes are immovable. Absolutes are unchangeable. They are unalterable. 
This is the same reason that our culture does not like or accept our God. You see, our God does not change according to culture. Our God is not transformed by the current trend. Our God is not altered by some algorithm. Our God is constant. Our God is sure. Our God is absolute. I have great concern for the church at this time that we are living in. You see, our belief, our certainty, our love for absolute truth, it is essential. We want to talk about essential things. This is one that is. Absolute truth is essential. When testifying in a court of law, you must take an oath. You hold your hand in the Bible and, of course, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Why is that? Because if you want the whole story, the truth is important. And where we are now, fake news is prevalent in our world. In fact, there are many that are employed as fact checkers in the news. I read the other day of one fact checker. He was checking on a politician, and after he had fact checked the information, he said, well, he said this, but I'm sure he meant that. Even the fact checkers try and skew the truth. Well, fact checkers, they're not necessary for the Word of God. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the Bible is true from front to back. I'm thankful from Genesis to Revelation. We know that every word, every chapter, every verse, every line is directly from God. In John chapter 1, something amazing is explained to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That one that we're explaining, that one that John talks about, we know his name this morning. His name is Jesus, and he is our God, and he himself is absolute truth. You see, we need to realize we can't separate God from the Word. They are forever connected. I read an, ob- uh, an article a couple of weeks ago that brought alarm bells to my spirit. The headline reads, The Bible isn't the Word of God. Nashville Church comes under fire for denying the Bible is God's Word. In a post on Facebook, Grace Point Church posted a recap of a message titled, The Bible, What Progressive Christianity Is. From lead pastor Joshua Scott, February 7th sermon, if you'd like to listen in. As progressive Christians, we're open to the tensions and inconsistencies in the Bible, the church wrote in the caption. We know that The Bible can't live up to impossible and modern standards. We strive to more clearly articulate what Scripture is and isn't. The church noted for further expanding what the church believes in the Bible, what the Bible is, and what the Bible is not. Grace Point Church added what the Bible isn't. It isn't the Word of God. It isn't self-interpreting. It isn't a science book. It isn't an answer book. It isn't inherent and infallible. Instead, the church argued, listen to this, the Bible is a product of community, a library of texts. Multi-voice is a human response to God. Well, I'm sorry, I have to strongly disagree with Pastor Scott this morning. The Bible is the Word of God, and the Bible is absolute truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed, 
given by divine inspiration and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error, for restoration of, to obedience, for training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage. We need that kind of word. You see, Jesus doesn't speak truth, doesn't just speak truth. Jesus is truth. Jesus said unto him, I am the only way to God. The real truth, the real life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, he can't lie. Not even if he wanted to. Jesus is who he said he was. He always been, has been who he said he is, and he always will be who he said he was. John 8, chapter 58, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to cast on him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Wow, they quickly got mad at Jesus. This group of Pharisees, they begin to try to... Th uh, Stone Jesus to pick up their stones and throw them at him. You know why? Because absolute truth makes the world angry. But I can say that angry, disagreeable people do not change absolute truth. I like the way that the voice put it in John chapter 8 and 58. Jesus said, the absolute truth is I was in existence before Abraham came or was even born. You see, Jesus definitely would be a good wouldn't be a good politician. He can't lie. He can't stretch the truth. He can't go around the truth. He can't hedge the truth. He can't give half-truths. He just stands as truth all by himself. You see, Jesus never tried to make people happy. He never tried to be popular. He never tried not to offend people. He simply stood as truth. Why is it important? Why does it upset the world? Why does it bother people? Because truth is the measuring mark that allows us to see where we are right now. Right now on July 4th, 2021, absolute truth allows us to look into the mirror of the Word of God and see where we are at. If you've ever seen or viewed abstract art, you know that as you look at it, it's not really a picture of anything. Simply dots and circles and shapes and lines and smears. The website iCanvas says this at Abstract art conveys concepts you won't find in physical or visual reality. Abstract artists freely use color, shape, and form to communicate intents that are left to the viewer's interpretation. No wonder the world likes it so much. You see, the world wants abstract truth. What do you think? How do you interpret that? How does that make you feel? People want their own truth. The Word of God, however, it is absolute truth. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The word... 
Come on, I'm talking about the absolute truth of the Bible this morning. It's forever settled in heaven, not merely in the mind of the psalmist, whether the psalmist or anyone else believes it to be so or not to be so. It is God's Word. It's settled in heaven in spite of man's opinion. It is not settled by 24 Sussex Drive in Ottawa, in the capital of our nation. It's not settled at UMB or St. Thomas University. The Word is settled in heaven. It's not settled by a politician. It's not settled by our press corps. It's not settled by a professor. It's absolute truth and it's settled in heaven by God himself. The psalmist concerning this and how very important it is, he leaves no room for debate. He says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That lets me know that earth can't change it. It lets me know that people cannot change absolute truth. Religion itself can't change absolute truth. Culture itself can't change absolute truth. Your social media feed can't change absolute truth. No matter what your Facebook or Instagram account comes up, it can't change what absolute truth is absolute truth is found in Jesus and he stands all by himself head and shoulders above everybody else but I believe the church stands at a dangerous crossroads right now the prophet Jeremiah he said in 16 and 16 I'm reading from I believe contemporary English the Lord proclaims stop at the crossroads look around ask for the ancient paths where is the good way then walk in it and find a resting place for yourselves. But they said, we won't go. Another version says, that's not what we want. You see, God calls the people of God to a crossroads. He says, please don't rush on by. He says, you need to pause and you need to look around. You need to take time to get your bearings. You need to check the compass. You need to look for the signs. You better make sure that absolute truth is the roadmap that you're using. Instead of just asking or searching for directions from culture or from our world. I can say most certainly that they can't direct you to heaven because they don't know the way. But yet I believe culture has strategically created this crossroads that the church has arrived at. That culture is demanding the church now make a choice. The signs at the crossroads read courage or compromise. Christ or culture. In an interview, CNN commentator Don Lemon speaking Concerning the high moral stand that Christian church takes on controversial issues. He stated that churches should re-examine re themselves and their teaching. Because that's not what God is about. God is not about hindering people or even judging people. Lemon's belief that he can somehow dictate the theology to the church reflects culture's claim that personal beliefs are truth. He says that God is not about hindering or even judging people. It must be so, even at least if it's in his mind. This despite the fact the Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So each one will receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it be it good or evil. 
The fact that it says it's appointed once to man to die and then comes the judgment. You see, Mr. Lemon's belief uh, reflects the reality of somebody saying, you know, I don't believe in hell. And thinking that that somehow makes it cease to exist. As if I were to claim today that I don't believe in Canada and somehow that would change the existence of Canada. Mr. Lemon followed up by saying, I respect people's right to believe in whatever they want to believe in their God. But if you believe in something that hurts or offends another person or gives someone this, uh, not the same rights or freedoms, not necessarily under the Constitution because this is under God, then I think that's wrong. I am certain a large portion of our society would agree with Mr. Lemon. You are welcome to your beliefs in God unless I or someone else disagrees. If anyone thinks that you have a reason to disagree, it must be wrong. It can't be truth. It offends somebody, it can't be truth. It can't be of God. Well, I got news for the world. Truth separates. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, Jesus said, Don't suppose I have come to bring peace into the world. I didn't bring peace, but I brought a sword. You see, Jesus knew that truth was going to separate. Truth was going to divide. Truth was going to send one people in one direction, and the other choice was going to send somebody in the other direction. The choice between compromise and courage, it is not something new for the people of God. Think of the prophet Jeremiah imprisoned in a cistern because he wouldn't stop preaching God's word, Jeremiah 38. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3. Remember Daniel in the lion's den in Daniel 6. Peter in Herod's prison in Acts 12. John exiled to Patmos in Revelation chapter 1. All found themselves in punishment or in prison because they simply would not agree with a godless culture. The compromise that you and I will be encouraged to make was just what the apostles were ordered to do by the Supreme Court of their day. Acts chapter 5 verse 28. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. If these believers would simply keep their beliefs to themselves. If they would simply try to get along with everybody else. If they would simply not offend anybody. Things would be okay. However the apostles replied. We must obey God rather than men. In verse 40, the council beat them and charged them that they were not to speak in the name of Jesus. It says in verse 41, they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor or persecution for his name. You see, the church has got to make a choice. It's either fight or flight. It's either courage or compromise. It's either step forward or step aside. Notice, if you will, in the book of Acts, those of the Sanhedrin that arrested the disciples. They did not charge them to stop preaching. They charged them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They got very specific. Acts chapter 4 verses 17 and 18. But to keep this message from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in this name. And they called them in again and commanded them that they should not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Those of the Sanhedrin representing the culture, the truth of their day, said to the disciples, if you want to get up on your soapbox, you knock yourself out, you just leave Jesus out of it. 
Because frankly, Jesus causes us to become uncomfortable. You see, Jesus confronts our sin. Jesus challenges our ideas. Jesus constantly offends us. Jesus calls for change in our behavior. Jesus claims that there is only one truth. More than that, Jesus claims that he is that one truth. You can speak, but no Jesus allowed. You want to make your little speeches, you go ahead. You want to gather a small group of people, you go ahead. You want to have a faith gathering and a faith venue, you go ahead. Feel free to speak about social justice and climate change and saving trees and fossil fuels and feeding the poor. But don't you dare speak in the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus scares our culture. Jesus messes up the world system. Jesus makes them squirm in their own skin. The power that the Sanhedrin of Jesus they possessed was claimed by Jesus himself, and they didn't like that. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. In another place, John 19 and 11, Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all, except it was given thee from above. See, culture, they like to be in control. Culture likes to claim the power, but Jesus destroyed their ability to control things. He he destroyed their ability and the power that they have when he said, All power in heaven and earth belongs to me. You see, the world says you can preach many things, just don't preach Jesus. Jesus is much too divisive. He's too offensive. He's too hurtful. Here's the problem I have with leaving Jesus out of the equation. Jesus is the only name that saves. Jesus is the only one that heals. Jesus is the only one that delivers. Jesus is the only one that sets free. Jesus is the only one that rescues mankind. Sadly, the world doesn't know what's good for them. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm preaching this morning about absolute truth. It's essential that you get a hold of it. It's essential that your family get a hold of it. It's essential that you preach it. It's essential that you teach it. It's essential that you walk in it and live in it. Come on, lift up Jesus right now, would you? Hallelujah. Lord, I worship you. Salvation is found in none other than the name of Jesus. Acts 4 and 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see, uh, since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, the one that was lame was now walking, they could say nothing against it. You see, preaching and serving Jesus, it is going to take courage in a culture of compromise. Compromise simply means to settle a dispute by mutual concession. To come to terms, to accept standards that are lower than is desired. You see, I can't speak for you this morning, but I am not prepared to compromise on truth. 
the world would say, if you would just tweak your belief a little bit, if you would just adjust your faith, if you could just kind of come a little our way, if you'd just come to terms with where we're at, if you just accept a little bit of a lower standard, I, I think we'd be able to get along. Well, I've stopped at the crossroads. I have paused. I have looked. I've consulted the map, and I found that there is still only one road that leads to where I want to go. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Sorry, but Jesus was exclusive to any other way. Sorry, but the way is not all-inclusive as much as society would like to think. We're not all headed to the same place, but the way is available to all. He doesn't leave anybody out in it. I'm grateful for that. But I don't think there's a compromise that we can come to. I don't think when he says, I am the only way, I am the real way, I am the absolute way, I don't think there's a compromise in that. You want to preach? That's okay. Just don't preach Jesus. Let's visit the story of the three Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And set it up in the plain of Dur in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble all the rulers of the province to attend the dedication of the statue of the king. A herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the instruments, you are to, uh, when you hear the music, you are to fall face down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. The music is played. Word gets back to the king that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three Hebrews, they did not bow. The king thinks well of these young men and he says there, there must be some mistake. Must have been a misunderstanding somewhere along the communication line. They, they must have mistook the order. I, I'm a nice guy. I'm going to give them another shot. And in verse 15, he says, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the instruments and the music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship, immediately you'll be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer on this question. It isn't even worth responding to is what they said. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden statue that you set up. You know the end of the story. Once again, the music is played, and they don't bow. They're thrown into the furnace for not compromising. God shows up as a fourth man in the fire, and a nation is converted. You see, the world will tell you that you can worship. In fact, we want you to join us in worship. Worship was not the problem. After all, their whole nation was bowed on their faces in worship to an idol, to a man-made God, to the culture's choice. You want to worship, we don't have an issue with that. But we forbid you from worshiping the one and the true and the only God. We don't want you living like there's only one God. But you can worship what we proclaim to be God. 
You want to worship, that's okay. It just can't be focused or exclusive worship on one true God. It can't be in spirit and in truth. If you'll just compromise a bit, we don't mind you worshiping. In Psalm 137, we read, The nation of Israel has been taken captive. 37, 1 and 2. We hanged our harps on the willows in the midst thereof. For they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing to us one of the songs of Zion. They respond, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? The world says, You want to sing? That's okay. As long as you do it on our terms. As long as we're able to control the song. Just be satisfied, living content. Long as you're content living in a strange land will you sing. Long as you're content being a prisoner of the enemy while you're doing it. We just want to make sure that you're comfortable in this strange land. If your song makes you feel like a familiar place and that's okay, the world says go ahead and sing. As long as you're singing in a strange land. You see, if you sing, perhaps you won't desire to go back to Jerusalem. You won't want to go back to where you were free. You won't want to go back to where your home is. You won't want to go back to where your God is. You won't want to go back to where you learned to sing. You won't want to go back to where you learned to worship. You won't want to go back to where you committed your life to God. Why don't you just sing in the enemy's place right now? Go ahead and sing as long as it allows you to be satisfied in a strange land. You see, I believe we're in a time when the church needs to stand against the spirit of compromise. We cannot appease a godless world. In fact, even if we wanted to, you can't do it. There's only always one more thing that they're looking for. One more concession that they want you to make. You look at the agendas. You look at the lobbies that are banging on the doors of our government. There's always one more thing that they want. There's always one more request that they have. You can't appease the world. The church, they need to have a love for absolute truth in a compromised culture. The world says, go ahead and preach as long as you don't preach Jesus. Go ahead and worship as long as your worship isn't exclusive. Go ahead and sing as long as you're satisfied living in a strange land away from God. Musicians, you can come back. Ephesians chapter 6 gives us great advice from the Apostle Paul when we're pressured to compromise truth. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and authorities of cosmic powers over the darkness against spiritual forces in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day Having done all to stand, stand firm. You see, Paul is telling us that we as the people of God, we need to prepare for war. As we stand this morning, if we want to or hope to keep absolute truth from being snatched from our life, we better prepare ourselves to take up arms for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Another version says we fight with weapons that are different from those the world uses. Not merely human weapons, not of flesh. Our weapons have power from God that can destroy the enemy's places, strongholds, fortresses. We destroy people's arguments and human reasoning. You see, the exclusiveness of the message of Jesus is what the world can't stand. It should be no surprise to us that this is happening. Jesus told us in the Gospel, Matthew 10 and 22, and you will be hated by all men for my name's sake. But then there's a wonderful caveat that's on the end of that verse. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Come on, are there any holders of absolute truth in the house this morning? Any lovers of the word of God? Any Christians who say, I refuse to compromise? We need to make up our mind. We need to make our assurance sure. You see, the ease of the Jesus' name message has endured and, and enjoyed is about to end. The comfort that the church has experienced, it's about to cease. It's time to stand up as the people of God and claim absolute truth as a part of your life and a part of who you are. If you are a believer in absolute truth, I can tell you this morning you are engaged in an absolute fight. Good news this morning, you and I have access to absolute power. There is nothing that can stand against the power of the name of Jesus. Paul declares the essentiality of truth and a love for truth when he describes in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10. He says, them that perish. To them that perish, why? Because they receive not a love for the truth that they might be saved. You want to know how important truth is? Your salvation is on the line. You want to know how important truth is? Your family is on the line. Your church is on the line. The message that we believe is on the line. We as Pentecostals better fall in love with absolute truth. We better be unmovable, unshakable, unchanged because there's things that are going to start to fire at us. There's persecution that's going to start to come. We're going to start to see things happen in our world, Brother Curtis. We never dreamed possible. Even over the last year, year and a half, we've already saw things that we never dreamed. We never dreamed that we would be having church with one another with masks on. We never dreamed that for, for months we would have to kind of put a plan together where people could come and celebrate their faith and worship God in a way that, that the government saw fit. Now, Pastor Peter's not against anything. This, please don't un misunderstand me. But we better fall in love with truth. 
Because what we've seen and what we feel like we've endured, that's just the beginning of what's getting set to come in our world. And if we're in love with truth, there is nothing that will move us. There's nothing that will shake us. There's nothing. We're going to ask the praise team to get set to sing. Pastor Lehman, I'm going to call you back. I, I don't know what the, what the protocol for closing a service is, but in the waning moments of this morning's service and my chance here, I, I would just urge us to fall in love with absolute truth. Let God and His Word be the guide in everything that you would do. And you'll end up in the destination that you desire. Pastor Jack.